Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at the Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. And I'm Pete Wright. Welcome to the Iron Man Accurate Chat. (laughs) (laughs) Today, we're talking about Minute 132, which begins with the Tesseract being dealt with and ends with Fury's dramatic walk. Back on the show, we have Marvelous Tay from Twitch TV. Hey, Taylor. Hello. How are you? Oh, I am great. And I'm thrilled to be talking about this minute with you. Should be a fun conversation. That's going to be a good one. Uh, My first question for you, though, what is it that drew you to pick this minute? That hunky Powers Booth. Please tell me it's Powers Booth. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I think the reason why I I picked this minute was... um, I like to ask the question, what if, what if Thor didn't take Loki? And I like to like expand that because I feel like, like that was one of the worst mistakes they could have done because Thor has a very soft spot for his brother, as we see in the next movie. And also now seeing She-Hulk, I like like this minute because we finally see a friendship between uh, Tony and Bruce. This was like the start of the friendship. I think that's really what pulled me more. Yeah, we had that fantastic scientist meet cute back mm-hmm. on the helicarrier. And it's kind of like, it was so cute to see him get in the car with Tony. I'm like, oh. Like they're besties. They're scientist besties. So adorable. <laughs> they're besties now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really very mean girl. Like, get in the car. I'm going shopping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we So there, there are two... Uh, directions for this conversation. We have everything going on here in Central Park, and then we also have everything going on uh, because this scene we're intercutting with Agent or with Nick Fury talking to the World Security Council. So, um, I I don't know. Do you want which one do you want to talk about first? Do you want to talk about what like the conversation Fury's having or or everything here at Bethesda Terrace? I think I want to talk about the the, the Tesseract because I like the one split second. It's like right there in the beginning. You see. Uh, Steve really staring down that Tesseract like a hawk. And I feel like because of the look that he gives, I don't know if he really feels comfortable that it is going back to Thor. I think there's a little sense of like un- uncertain. Unser- I don't know what word I want to use, but I, I don't know. I just that that face when I was watching this, I'm like, there's something he's thinking behind his head. There's, you know, the ears are starting to burn. The wheels are turning. I wonder what he's thinking. That's a really interesting note because he is the person who was around when the Tesseract was first. Uh, I mean, it's it had been on Midgard for quite some time, but really it was because of Red Skull and everything that, uh, that Johann Schmidt did back in World War II when he was around and, and really kind of that was the thing that kind of gave his enemy at the time so much power. And he thought it was gone. It had come back. And now he's thinking it's going again. And it does make you wonder if he's looking at that thinking, is this the last time I'm seeing this? Or am I going to have to deal with this again at some point? Is that and also, I don't think he trusts anyone anymore when it comes to that. You know, I think he's still, after what he saw in the helicopter, I feel like he's still uncertain with shield down. He's a little on edge and i don't think he really knows who to trust i think he's kind of put off guard because whenever that that little glowy block of goodness is around him there's something always bad behind it yeah i think that's it too i think he's he's you know he's probably thinking nobody's ever going to be able to keep their hands on this like this is a mistake 
But it's a mistake. But like, what is the answer? What do you keep it here? Where are you going to put it that where it isn't going to be a problem? That that ends up being kind of sort of the unifying question of of the entire Infinity Saga is how do you keep these things off of that guy's hand? All right. What would you do? Yeah, no, I don't know. Like, that's the question, right? There's, I don't think there's an answer. I don't think there's an answer, but that's what Cap is wrestling with, right? Like, it's, it, it is, this is a thing that has caused problem now for, I don't know, have you seen how many movies we've had to make about it? Like, yeah. We're just, we're just getting started. Yeah. I mean, the best thing you do is destroy it, but the question is, how would you do it? Because they'll never figure it out. Right. Well, and that's interesting because we don't know exactly what this device is that they have put it into, but clearly it's something that, I don't know, I'm assuming Eric had just had in his spare time, he's like, hey, you know what, I'm going to make something else while I'm, yeah. you know, <laughs> while, I'm, while I've got my downtime, I'm going to come up with something that is like a, as, a as personal, Gardein, yeah, a personal carryout container, <laughs> right, right, a personal uh, transport device uh, that you could use with the Tesseract when you don't want to create the blue beam, but you do want to ride the blue beam and take it somewhere, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's, it was such a funny thing when you're thinking about it, I'm like, okay, so Eric had been so busy with all of this where does this thing come from i don't know but clearly he had enough spare time and spare parts to just kind of throw this together too as long as we're talking about things that eric threw together can we talk about this prototype of the dyson personal air purifier that loki's wearing that thing is amazing and it's especially amazing that this this is so attuned to a product that exists right now <laughs> that I die every time I see it. The Dyson Zone is the stupidest thing I've ever seen and Loki's wearing an early one right now. It's too funny. I have to call that out. That's hilarious. I have Have you seen, seen those? Oh, I'm looking yeah. at images of them right now. Yeah. It's funny. They look like they've designed them to uh, to look like they came from a movie like this. I, I know! <laughs> I know this! It's so dumb! <laughs> well, I mean, why why is Loki in a mouth guard to begin with? I mean, it's not like he's Hannibal Lecter who eats people. Because of the power of the power of words. Well, is it the power of words? Because it's not like it's not like he casts spells either. Like if this was an incredible speaker, Andy, and they're afraid (laughs) he will be able to just convince people to sway his way. Yeah. I like to think that it was just Thor who's just like, I'm so sick of hearing his voice. Can we just put something over his voice? I just I don't (laughs) want to have to hear this is Asgardian tape. (laughs) I just think I think for Thor, he had enough hearing his brother mouth away this entire time and just needs a good peaceful way to go back to Asgard without hearing his brother right. being all Mr. Smarty Pants and you know <laughs> alright you want me this time but and you know right yeah no, I think he just wanted him to be a little quiet it's a little longer <laughs> yeah it's, it's very funny it I mean it's one of these things where the whole thing when you look at it it's like I wonder why they're doing that but yeah it's just one of those things it's like you don't worry about it because it's you just imagine in the scope of catching a villain it's just one of those things that they add just to make him look even more caught mm-hmm. <laughs> he's even more he's extra caught extra caught yeah, yeah that's right <laughs> well it makes me think like almost like a, a dog with those little mouth pieces like I was the first thing I think of with him. Yeah, like a, it's it's kind of like one of those muzzles. Muzzles, thank yeah, you. muzzle. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was yeah. thinking. Right. 
Um, the Tesseract, jumping back to that real quick, it is in this briefcase. At the very beginning of this minute, when we see the briefcase that Tony has the Tesseract in, um, he opens it up and we see then it kind of cuts to, you know, Bruce having taken it out with some special, I, I'm sure there are tongs that Eric also devised. They're just super fancy tongs, basically. And he puts them, puts it into this container. But that briefcase, uh, there's a little story behind this. This is a Ramoa GmbH. Uh, uh, it is a German manufacturer that makes these incredibly fancy briefcases. And uh, like this particular briefcase, the modern, like the up-to-date, like 2023 version, this uh, attache case is $2,125. So they're not cheap briefcases, but... And they don't even use it. Well, they. this is the... It's a similar briefcase that, like, Fury had uh, had it in at the end of Thor. So it's kind of one of these things that they kind of consistently kind of keep using. Because of that, uh, the Marvel uh, Disney company decided when they were going to release a special package of the entire Phase 1 on Blu-ray and DVD. It was called the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 1 Avengers Assembled Collection. They were going to release this in, I believe, spring 2013, or actually late fall 2013. The company sued Marvel because uh, this is um, the the briefcase company, they sued Marvel because they said that um, you're using it in a way where it's uh, you're stealing the design and it doesn't speak to the quality that we imbue in our uh, in our briefcases. It was enough to delay the release of this box set from fall 2012 to spring 2013. And from what I can tell, they did end up finally coming to an agreement to release this package, but they did have to alter its design so it didn't necessarily look like one of these Ramoa uh, attache cases. But it was quite, <laughs> it was quite the drama. Like there were uh, stories in the Hollywood Reporter and Variety about this whole lawsuit that had been happening because uh, because of this whole thing. So it's funny That's how really funny, yeah, little things like this can end up causing such headaches for studios that are trying to release something that looks cool. And it was headaches for us as Marvel fans to get that little thing. I was fighting exactly. tooth and nail, and I still failed every time. Well, and it, it looks like you can still get it, but you know, typically uh, when these things are released and then are only released for a limited time, now if you want to buy it, it's $425. So, a little pricey. A little pricey. Yeah. Yeah. And um, now I'm crying, so thank you. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what are you going to do? We get uh, the final moments of this, you know, uh, Thor and Loki, uh, again, the funky device design. They turn the handle and... What does it do? Does it, like, unleash the Tesseract juice on them and then they're able to... Because that's kind of what it's looking like. Yeah. So it's kind of like uh, what Loki tried to do with the Tesseract at uh, Stark's Towers. This one's a little bit more contained and not... um, opening up a portal it just teleports them versus what they had a machine they're opening different worlds at one time this is just little little like star trek teleport yeah they get to ride the pew pew juice mm-hmm. all the way to Pretty asgard yeah. but i do have to say with this one scene i do love the little side eye that loki gives to uh black widow and hawkeye as he like watches them as she goes over there and whispers to <laughs> hawkeye a little a little gossip little juicy tea and he 
Hulk kind of smirks a little bit. I want to say, I wonder what she told him yeah. to make him smile. What, what makes Clint smile? I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, I really want to know what she's whispering. I think it's the most like cutest little scene. And it makes, I think makes Loki kind of really get frustrated because he always wants to know what everyone says about him. He wants to know. And I think that's a little cute little touch in my mind. It's a great play that the two of them do, uh, considering they've both, I mean, he was mind controlled by Loki for the bulk of the film. She had that confrontation with him in his holding cell. And this is that moment to kind of, for them to show Loki that, you know, we got you, we have it up on you, and, you know, they're making fun of him. And it's just that smirk that Clint gives right at the end of that beat. It's just, it's perfect. It's so uh, emblematic of everything they've gone through and exactly how they feel about Loki. It just, it plays really well. Oh, it's perfect. I loved it. The other thing that I thought was interesting is Loki is caught, but is still acknowledging like there is this willingness he has as Thor, his brother holds out the other end and Loki, it's like, he knows he's just going to have to go along with this. And he actually willingly takes the handle and holds it with, uh, with Thor so that they can be whisked off to Asgard. It's, you know, it's a nice little beat there in the, in the spirit of live to fight another day, right? Like you just know something's happening. Yeah. I, I love that beat. And then, yeah, they are off to Asgard. And at this point, All of our heroes depart. They go their separate ways. But we know that they will all come back to unite again, as needed, as does Fury. We see, uh, you know, Tony and Steve shake hands, which is a nice beat because Tony had been so, uh, you know, kind of poking at Steve so often through the film. But it's a nice little nice little moment that the two of them share. And do we get to talk about the car? (sighs) I was going to wait till it drives away. But, yeah, it's we get we get the fantastic car here. Mm. I love this car. This is a this is a car that does not exist. Uh, it was like just right before the movie was released. Um, the uh, Acura had unveiled an updated concept of the NSX, uh, Honda's uh, NSX, and it, they hadn't talked about making it uh, into a re- revitalized like supercar at that point. And so, you know, knowing the agreement that they had with with um, uh, Marvel, there there was a lot of speculation. What this car really is underneath is an Acura NSX, but it's a 1991 with 252,000 miles on it that was purchased by the body shop for 18 grand, and uh, it was a previously a private owned. NSX Coupe from Arizona. Uh, they they bought the car. They put a lot of foam on it. Uh, a guy named Dave Merrick, who runs the shop that that was contracted to do it, ended up refabricating a lot of the panels on the front from fiberglass. The car still has its 270 horsepower, three liter V6 engine, completely untouched, other than being limited to 30 miles per hour. Anything over that, the fiberglass all rips off. So um, it is a uh, lovely, lovely homage to the NSX and uh, the NSX line is still is still around today as as sort of their entry into the supercar market. But um, it is uh, th- this was the car I wanted them to make. This coupe is beautiful and it never quite got there. Never quite got there. Close, but never quite there. Did it finally come out? Uh, I feel like well, it was it, one of those not... things. There's a version of it that came out in 2015. Yeah, and then like the the because I, I think you can get it now. 
Well, you can get the NSX. You can't get the Iron Man NSX. That's right, what I'm talking roadster, about. The right. car that they made for this is just the lines are slightly different, right? By right, the time right. it hit 2015, it was its own design. This exact model was never made. And that's what I'm saying. And that's it's it's really lovely. The color is lovely. It's a custom color. Uh, you could never get this color, this kind of purple red. Um, so it's a neat car. Well, the Marvel Wiki calls it the NSX uh, Spider. Well, and there's a Spider model of the NSX. There is absolutely a Spider model, but this one, the way, so I'm, I'm the my research is coming from the shop that made the car, and Dave Merrick is call, calls it the Iron Man NSX, gotcha. and that's the unique mark of of this particular handcrafted version of this car. So in the Marvel Conspiracy Theories, which I live in, I have a nice <laughs> room in Renaissance there, um, people always thought that, that was a spider. And it's funny, if you go watch past Avengers movies, the spider iron suit has the exact same color or clothes to that car. That's awesome. That so is I funny. don't know if that's also another like, hey, fair warning, another Easter egg, but once yeah. again, sometimes I overthink a little bit too much <laughs> but that's been a huge talk yeah in my realm as was as a little hint that spider-man's coming yeah right, you know, right. and it so happens yeah. tony's driving that car and the color of the suit is kind of close hmm. it's getting there it's getting there yeah that's funny uh, the license plate is stark 33 which is uh, just always fun to track i don't know if this is 33rd uh, car i would imagine he has a lot more than that but as a fun little note. Uh, we get uh, Steve driving away on his Harley. It's a 2012 Harley-Davidson Softail Slim that he is riding as he takes off. And, of course, uh, Bruce, as we said earlier in the show, he goes off with his new best science buddy, Tony. And then we get uh, Nat and Clint taking off in the matte black uh, shield mobile. <laughs> which is uh, that i don't have any information on <laughs> it's yeah it's like yeah okay uh, i guess it looks like a shield car yeah. it's funny like i think it's a it's a taurus with matte paint job with like vinyl on it <laughs> yeah in the scope like a, of probably a honda <laughs> in the scope of shield though it's like they uh, obviously it's an organization that is not like a secret organization i mean they've got it branded on the side the public's going to be able to see it and everything so why do they do that? That is like the worst paint job. Like Shield has an has their awesome logo, and then they put this like stencil paint on their cars. <laughs> that is so dumb. <laughs> that is a good question. Who knows? Who knows? Um, as as Tony drives away, you actually get a shot as they as they leave the terrace. Here, you can see some Shield agents standing at the end of it, kind of blocking either end, which is just a nice little note to recognize that again. Why are they not doing all of this at Stark Tower where everybody was? Who knows? They came all the way up to Central Park. Uh, but it is nice to see how how they are still kind of, there is this team element with S.H.I.E.L.D. that's kind of like holding this area uh, as kind of a, a safety uh, area that they can operate in without people coming through. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like it was the Acura, like the, the SUVs, the MDX, the uh, car. What would the car be? It was... The standby, it's coming. Matte <laughs> vinyl treatment on the looks Acura, like an, is it in, the accurate TL? Looks like yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. Got there. There it is. Yep. 
Um, okay, well, that pretty much is the end as, as our heroes all depart. Uh, let's shift our conversation and go back to, you know, we've been listening to Nick Fury talking to um, the World Security Council, specifically uh, Gideon Malik and Pamela Hawley are the two specific ones he's largely talking to over the course of this. But yeah, this, there's kind of this, this, this is a conversation that started in our last minute, but we're coming in on the last half of it. Um, thoughts on this conversation and kind of where it's taking us, Taylor? The World Security Council always wanted that sense of control. You know, they are security. They want to have power. Obviously, we learn later on in Captain America, we see why they want it. But they kind of get put off guard thinking like Nick Fury is definitely with them on their side. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, I love them loose. They're on, you know, doing daycare, play dates, you know, they're out there having fun. They're like, oh, what? And I, I think that's what really freaked them. I think that's like, with their dialogue, I feel like they are now have to question now Nick Fury. They thought they had him. Nope. Mm-hmm. I can see that more of Pamela is definitely way more aggressively concerned and how much she believes that they are a threat. This conversation, I think, is what sparked, what was it called, Project Insight. I think it's what made them have like a backup plan to have, once again, that sense of control. Hence why Project Insight. And it's nice to get the sense, I mean, we don't get that here, but certainly by the time we get to Winter Soldier, the fact that Pamela Hawley is not one of the, like, she hasn't been turned by... Uh, Hydra, right? Like, as we kind of find out in that one uh, toward the end when uh, we have Natasha kind of posing as her, like, there's that whole bit where it's like, it's, we get a sense that she's actually um, one of the good people. So, but it's interesting because here the World Security Council kind of still has this dark, shadowy organization. Do I trust these people? What are, what's their goal? And it's really, it is this sense of power that they have here. Like, you, you know, they're kind of judging Fury for having let Loki go and like they have no control over all that and they've let these Avengers loose and they don't know, they're not even tracking them. They don't know where they are. Like it's, it's an interesting conversation that really speaks to the people in power want to maintain control at all costs. And it's like this balancing act between them wanting to control everything and Fury kind of being that buffer between them and the Avengers, allowing the Avengers to also just kind of be their own their own people, and it's uh, it's an interesting little scene here. Pete, what do you think? Well, I I love it too because of the way it connects to uh, Agents of Shield and Malik's participation in Agents of Shield. Right, all of this this was back when there was still strong hope that we would have a unified universe uh, between the big screen and the small screen, and they were doing some actual you know, teasing some actual tie-ins. And uh, so this was where the story started opening up, where we get this feeling from Powers Booth in particular that, you know, you you can't do what you're doing, Fury. You can't do it. You can have this statement to us right now. You can have your little monologue and you can put your foot down real hard, but eventually we're going to come back at this another way, right? We're going to resolve this our way, World Security Council way. And and I think that's important. That's like the important anchor for the, the political story that comes next, not the, the hero like save the day story, but the political story. 
Well, it doesn't help either that Nick Fury in the beginning wanted control. You know, he says like, hey, we now know that there's powerful forces out there. We need to control here on our universe to make sure that we're protected. And I think towards the movie, he learns that, all right, dealing with this much power and powerful creatures and gods and whatever, there is no control. You can't contain this. And he ends up changing. And that's what he does towards the end. He finally realized that he is not that powerful anymore. He thought he was, which we learned <laughs> from future TV show. Um, uh, you know, he is not that powerful anymore. So he has to accept the fact that there is no control when it's that much power and security hates that. They're not for it. Mm-mm. Especially with, um, Malik. Yeah. Especially with all of his ancestors, you know, all his ancestors being in Hydra, his father and so on and so forth. His whole life is around control. Yeah. It's also interesting that essentially, I mean, they can't study the Tesseract anymore. The Tesseract is gone. It has been taken by Thor back to Asgard. And so that part of phase two is no more like they can't use it to study stuff, but they still have a ton of weaponry that they've kind of been developing with phase two. You'd think that they would still be kind of playing around with more of these, um, you know, Tesseract powered weapons that they had been developing, but we never see any of those, like everything from phase two kind of, they just kind of, it, it all kind of ends here. Right. Is there any, there, phase two never comes into the TV show. Um, no, no. I mean, I, I know they use some of the Tesseract weapons at some point in there, but but it's not like mentioned because again, after this moment, they part ways. Right? We don't. We, they they stopped playing nice with the small screen. And there's not much uh, stuff in the MCU, at least that I remember, that has the power similar to the Tesseract without the actual Tesseract. They can find something similar, but it's nothing going to be, it's not even close. And so they have to accept the fact that without that little glowy blue cube of wonder, they're just going to have to find something else, which they end up doing, um, which they find later that there's more to that scepter that we don't realize until Age of Ultron. Yeah, right, right. It all is very interesting, kind of the development of all of this. And it's, uh, but you know, it is one of those things that often it's interesting to see which things that they thought were going to be more important. And then as they kind of continue developing the, the actual story thread over the phases, they're like, well, that's not as important anymore. We don't need to kind of focus on that. And they kind of have these shifts of things that are like, well, that's not as important now. Let's not worry about it. And I suppose it's the inevitable evolution of a giant, um, you know, project like the Marvel Cinematic Universe really is, where they're kind of having these little things. But even the world of comic books, that happens. It's not mm-hmm. really anything new in all of this. No. I mean, for them now, what's more important than the Tesseract, because they know what the Tesseract is now, what's more important is that scepter. They want that scepter. After what Loki has done, oh, security wants that. The fact that they can control people in their own will, I mean, if anyone wants that, they do. And that's what their main focus is. If they have to lose one little thing to get another, they'll do it. 
Well, and that's, you know, if there's one thing that would have been interesting to see at the end of this, in addition to kind of everything else we do, it would be one of those beats of the scepter. Like, that would have actually made for an interesting post-credit sequence. I mean, I love the shawarma palace bit, but just something with people starting to do some experimentation with the scepter would have been kind of a cool little nod. Because uh, I don't think, I think we see it in, in uh, Natasha's hands. Uh, last time we were chatting with you, and then the scepter kind of disappears from the story until it pops up again um, in Age of Ultron. It, there's nothing about it in any of the films before that, I don't believe, right? Yeah, Iron Man 3 doesn't deal with it at all. Yeah, and then we see it for again in uh, Endgame. Well, I mean, but I mean, in like leading up to Ultron, which where it becomes more popular or more of a story thread, but I don't think anything between here and there we see it. No, because once it gets in the hands of uh, for the Security Council, they immediately went yeah. and yep. started experiment- doing their know. little experiments. Exactly, and then voila, Wanda. Yep, exactly. Well, uh, I guess that's the end of our conversation here. Uh, Taylor, thank you so much for joining us uh, today and over the course of the season. We certainly appreciate all these conversations with you. Oh, thank you. I really feel like I'm riding off into the sunset on my nice little motorcycle with my brown leather jacket and my very farmer-like blue plaided shirt, you know, right. at ease, like, 100%. finish this minute. Absolutely. Uh, tell everybody uh, one last time about what you're doing over on Twitch TV and where they can tune in. Well, I do Marvel Mondays with Marvelous Day. We talk all things rumor, conspiracy theories, news, anything that can really twist your mind for a day. That's my mission. <laughs> and I play a variety of games as well and just do a lot of Marvel talking. There's not a day I don't talk about Marvel. Oh, well, that's awesome. awesome. Check it out, everybody. We'll have the links in the show notes. Remember, if you're not seeing them in your podcatcher, just go to marvelmovieminute.com and you can find everything there. That's it for today. We will be back tomorrow uh, to talk about Minute 133 with uh, Andrew and Joe Dorowski popping in. Should be a fun conversation with the two of them. So uh, that's it. Pete, thanks as always. Man, Andy, tomorrow we get that classic minute. Remember that minute where Maria Hill and Nick Fury are standing on the bow of the helicarrier? And Maria Hill yells, I'm the king of the world! Do you remember that? Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> tomorrow. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>